Welcome back to another episode of the Shadow Sworn Radio Hour, episode 13. Unlucky 13. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and today I'm joined by Adam Sink. What up? Uh, not a lot. How you doing? Doing great, man. Just another another day in the gaming life. And to my left, I have Ben motherfucking Bailey. How you doing, buddy? Salutations. <laughs> All right. It's been a while <laughs> since I heard that one. Uh, so uh, this is our monthly white wolf but let's just call it vampire show since we end up talking about vampire and we pretty much let all the other white wolf shit kind of slide uh today we're talking about collecting vampire the masquerade and how to get into it because i get a lot of people hitting me up on the old instagram or the the email and they're like brendan you talk a lot about this game called vampire i feel like maybe i should give it a, a shot what should I get? And then I write a long ass email, and my hands want to fall off. And so, um, now I'm just gonna we're just gonna turn to an episode, right? Let's do it. And this way we can kind of round things out a little bit. We can have Adam give some of his favorite picks, and have Ben give some of his favorite picks. You guys can get a more nuanced idea about what to collect because I, I have a, I have a few choice books. And looking over the lists that uh, Adam and Ben have curated, they're a little bit different than mine. So I think that uh, you guys will all get something out of this. So, um, before we get too deep into that, what's everyone up to lately? So, why, Adam, why don't you tell us about the uh, V5 Alpha playtest that you ran at Crit Hit just sure. a week ago? So, to set it up, um, the Alpha that they give you is is fairly railroady, um, and it's a little light on um, it's a little light on character backstory and some details that you would think that you would need in order to run it effectively. I am going to be running it at Gen Con or, or a alpha playtest at Gen yeah, Con. Yeah, there's going to be another one. Right, there, th- there may be another one. I don't know what I'm allowed to say about that or not. But um, So I went into it just wanting to do it as close to the Gen Con experience as I could. So uh, I had three players, delightful people. They came in and they were gonna they were going to run through it with me. So we rolled randomly for characters. The only character that couldn't really be random as Bruno because he's integral to the story. I, <laughs> yeah. He is yeah. kind of the linchpin of the entire story. So someone has to play Bruno. Um, the other ones that we rolled up were Amelina and uh, it's Whoops. the guy who starts with an N. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. It, it, Amir was the only one that didn't ah, get picked up. That's the A1 that I'm thinking of. Right. So uh, we went ahead and we ran through it with those characters and it went pretty well i made some mistakes with the rules and how things worked uh as in as a storyteller it's relearning and reconditioning myself to a lot of things like how feeding works and how hunger works and how combat works because all of that is different now so if you go into it expecting it to be um vampire second edition or vampire revised or 20th edition or, or whichever edition you're most familiar with it's it's definitely not that it's got a really different feel to it doesn't it has it? a very different feel it's pretty to cool it. though right i mean it's a new edition feels radically different well we'll see i after having run it and played with it and played with the the people that i did at crit hit i liked it a lot more than i uh, than i thought i might just given interacting with it as a storyteller or as a GM without having any play experience with it. it. It worked a lot better in play than it did in my head. 
And so I was pretty satisfied with how the story went, and I was pretty sad. I was really satisfied with how they played. They really got into their characters uh, and really brought some life to them that wasn't there on the page at all, and and really kind of embodied the monstrousness of these of these degenerate Camarilla vampires. And did you coach them? Did you have to coach them to be like, no, seriously, it's a horror game and play monsters and stuff, or did they just kind of pick stuff out? On no, the page? they just kind of picked it up on their own. I think. I think they had had past experience. A- anyone who is going to play in an alpha is going to come into it with past experience with Vampire the Masquerade. Mm, and point. I believe they all had past experience with Vampire the Masquerade, and it showed. They were really able to get up and run with those dark themes and, and get into kind of the, the squabbling with each other. And it ended with you know a player betrayal of other players, and so that's fairly standard vampire as well. So if you read through the adventure, it's very unlikely that they're all going to get out of there alive. And that was very much the experience when I played through it. How did you feel about the second Inquisition stuff? Because I know that one of my criticisms early on, and I, I, I don't know how closely you and I were uh, related on that, but I know one of my, my criticisms early on was that the second Inquisition stuff, at least the way it reads, was like too heavy-handed. It's very heavy-handed. I, I downplayed it. The second Inquisition didn't show up except in two instances. One was at the nightclub that's on fire where you go to find Andre. They were there because you can't get away with them not being there. And then the other was at the end of the game where the player called in the tip of the car the other players were traveling in. That was when I had the second Inquisition, basically. Uh, I had them make a stealth roll while they were driving. They they critically failed it. And that was when I had a, a helicopter tell them to pull over. They pulled over, got out of the car, and then the second Inquisition guy's essentially swung the door open and, and gunned them down. Sounds, sounds like a happy ending. Yeah. So it was, it, I, there wasn't really any other way for it to end. I, it's well, expected it's, that those characters don't make it out of Berlin alive with Andre. So there, there's huge constraints on that game. So, I mean, obviously the number of endings and the type of endings you can have are very constrained. And, right. And that's it's, fine. it's essentially, do you get gunned down on a train? Do you get gunned down on the road? Do you get Gun uh, torn apart by a werewolf. Do you get gunned down by anarchs? Those are your choices. Fair. As we were hanging out in the lobby uh, on subsequent days at Crit Hit, people had seen the game or been around it, and they were coming up to you and they were approaching you about it. Yes, they, they were, were asking me a number of questions about the new vampire, <laughs> and it was amazing the number of misconceptions people have about Vampire Five. Well, in what way? So I had people come up, to, come up to me and ask, I've heard that there's no Sabbat in Vampire 5. The Sabbat's gone. I said, well, <laughs> they're not gone. They, they follow the Camarilla elders to the east. It's a, they're not going to be in the first round of books. The first round of books are the, are the, guide, are the rule book, the guide to the Camarilla and the guide to the Anarchs. So they're still there. And then I had someone else say, oh, I heard that the Malkavians aren't aren't in the game anymore. And I said, well, whatever gave you that idea? And he said, well, you know, when you were running it last night, you said all the Malkavians were dead. And I said, well, I said that the uh, prince was a Malkavian. He was dead. And uh, uh, Andre, the club kid, was a Malkavian primogen, and he was dead. That doesn't mean there's no Malkavians. They're not all dead. Well, I mean, because there's two characters right there that are Malkavians. Yeah. They just and, got killed. And then, yeah, and well, they're killed before, well, the prince is killed before the game ever even starts. And then it was, oh, I heard that the Tremere aren't in it. And I was like, well, no, the Tremere are in it. They're, they're, they're in the game. So it, it was just very interesting hearing a lot of the things that people had said. I got a lot of questions about the feeding rules and that when I would try to explain them to people, it would either confuse them or I got, I don't like that. 
<laughs> so, uh, I think that the feeding rules are going to be a huge bone of contention. They are going to be a big ro- bone of contention. They that was the one thing that complicated the game more than anything was I, the feeding rules and the compulsions. It, 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 yeah, you just get to this point where you're hardly doing anything but dealing with uh, hunger and compulsions. Well. What I've kind of heard a lot of is people talking about these hungers and compulsions, and it sounds like the rules on them, and this is a pre, pre-alpha pre playtest, so the, we, we aren't expecting them to be super minty and crisp here. Right. But it sounds like the rules for them are kind of jumbled and don't work very well, and, and that's fine. That's why you run the test, to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really mean is I think that there's going to be this huge segment of the vampire population who are going to be like, I want to collect blood points for my powers. That The hunger part was the part I liked best reading it. Yeah. That in running it, I found the most issues with. So it was very interesting. There were other parts that I felt, oh, I don't necessarily like this. That like physical, mental, social instead of the attributes that you used to have. I actually didn't have a problem with that in running it. I thought that worked well in running it. The issue that I had, you know, and then I thought, oh, hunger and and compulsions, I like this idea. And then as I ran it, I, I liked it less and less as, as the game went on. After one session, you're like, I'm over it. Well, I was just, I was getting frustrated because I was spending so much time just on that part of the game. Ooh. And, and it got to the point where it was really, it was, okay, so you rolled, you made your roll, but it would it would come up and, con- oh, I'm going to be in a combat with this guy. I see. And so- now I get a compulsion in the middle of this combat while I'm fighting him and I'm spending blood. And so it got very bookkeepy. Okay, how many times have you roused the blood? Oh, five. Now we need to deal with your hunger before we do anything else. Oh, you, you have generated a compulsion we need to deal with that before we do anything else and it started breaking up the narrative flow of the game as i went where i was oh i have to deal with this right now oh i have to deal with this right now and so it started becoming a problem the more we got into the game and the hungrier they got and so i was dealing with hunger an awful lot uh, and, and try to sort all of that out so it just kept coming up over and over and over again it was one of those things i was like oh this is neat oh this is neat okay this is kind of a drag oh okay, this is kind of a bummer by, by the time I was done. Well, that's something to look forward to for the second one. All right, Ben, seriously, uh, over to you. What, what you got, buddy? Well, I got uh, played some Vampire this weekend. And how'd that go? That was uh, pretty fucking rad, actually. Elaborate. I'm going to let you take it. No, um, this this game was a lot of player-driven interaction uh, this, uh, this session. You know, uh, we're still in Giovanni Chronicles, and uh, characters are on their way back from uh, the monastery back to Miovenny. You know, there's been some differences in opinion amongst some of the characters about, like, ways in which the party should proceed. Things kind of came to a head with Ben's character, Solomon, taking the forefront and being sort of aggressive in his stance of being anti-conspiracy of uh, Isaac. Well, I mean, this this happened. There was, a, there was a big catalyzing moment that really f- sort of forced the wedge in between everybody, which is kind of sort of what tends to happen in Vampire, at least when I run it. Mm. You want to talk about that? Uh, well, we got back to Miaveni, and we found that, like, the town had been basically, like, destroyed, right? Like, dead dead bodies everywhere. This was, this was Solomon's haven. Solomon was really upset. People he'd known for all their lives had been killed. He took it very personally, and uh, we had to seek shelter before we could we could we could reconnect with the conspiracy. And so we took shelter in the burned out church in the catacombs underneath. When we arrived, we discovered that one of the conspiracy was asleep there with his newly minted child, Casimir, and and his child. Some of the characters had had a grudge against Casimir going into this anyway, and Solomon had 
decided to act on all of his anger, he killed Casimir. He staked Casimir and and uh, then destroyed his head. Yeah, <laughs> in uh, truly uh, gruesome fashion. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I, dug, I dug it. I dug it. The rest of us fell asleep, and he finished off the child as well at that point, uh, in sort of a poignant death scene. And we woke up the next night, and a player character who started off as a player character, Emrek, he basically forced a confrontation uh, with. Chris's character, Rodolfo, which ended up in with uh, Solomon disabling poor Emmerich. Chris being forced to kill Emmerich to prove <laughs> that he had some backbone. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Or Rodolfo, not Chris, but you get my point. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting session. Yeah, there were some humanity checks and some uh, hard feelings. And it looks like the party is going to split at this point because there's two players at this point who are just sick to death of the sort of like... Uh, cavalcade of atrocities that the conspiracy of Isaac represent. Then three players who feel like, well, yeah, but we don't really know anything about Hardestat and those other guys. They seem sort of like schmucks also. So we might as well just stick with the devils we know rather than devils we don't. We'll see what happens. We kind of left it there. I, I sort of thought, I sort of, I, I sort of wanted to get a little bit further, but because of the internecine uh, combat, I had to call it where I did, which is, you know, where it, where it, that's vampire. Yeah. I think that for, for the three, like I said, I'm pretty sure now I'm not, I don't know everybody's hearts here totally, but I'm pretty sure the three of us, are thinking about staying with conspiracy, and two of us are thinking about leaving, going right. to join right. Hardest Dad. Did I say and that wrong? No, 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 no. And, and I think the three of us sort of looked at it like at least the conspiracy is sort of nominally offering us membership. They, they, they yeah, it's, it's a gruesome outfit, and <laughs> and uh, you know they're they're not the greatest of people. But when it comes down to it. They're actually offering us like maybe a small seat at the table. So, so that that tiny morsel of enfranchisement is basically what has really resonated with you guys because the 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 founders had no no such offer. They no, no, it was like do it or die. Yeah, they're like get, get to it, flunkies. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah well, and, 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 that's and, how the bot works. That's Dark Ages vampire for you. It really is. Yeah. You no, know, it truly that's, is. Right. It's like it's yeah. like uh, you're a peasant, and here's the feudal lords, and do it. Got to do it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I really wanted to put you guys in a situation where you felt that powerlessness of being caught between very powerful sort of inhuman masters that had agendas that you couldn't really like understand. The ends justify the means kind of guys. Sure. It sounds like that's all been a success. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that like you know, Rudolfo heading back to Hardestad, he stands to gain the most doing that anyway. Oh yeah, if if, if Rudolfo and Solomon peace out and head to Hardestad, they are. They're going to do pretty well for it. All right. Well, we've let that go on a little long on the tooth. So uh, we'll cut it off there. And uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss Forever Night, episode 10. Find out momentarily. See you in a second. Discussing Forever Night episode nine, I will repay, and it was one of the more interesting episodes. To give us a breakdown on the plot synopsis, we'll kick it over to Brendan. What up? All right, so um, 
Episode nine, I will repay. Uh, Forever night is getting. I, I feel. I feel like either Forever night is getting better, or I am recalibrating my expectations because this episode <laughs> actually felt like it was kind of fun. Last now, episode was was better than the ones that preceded it, and this episode was better than last episode. So, I, yeah. I what feel- I will say is the more other vampires they seem to introduce into the show the more i seem to like the episodes when there's if, other vampires if it's about in vampire shit it's better it's usually better if it's about solving crimes it's usually it's pretty shitty. so we're on a sort of an upward swing right now and that's good uh just as a quick summary of the episode the premise here is that we we meet some of Nat's background characters. This is sort of what you might call like a Nat episode if we were doing a Star Trek kind of analog. Well, um, bear in mind, we don't meet that many characters because that's not the format of the show. Yeah, the, the format of the show can't afford more than five characters at any given moment. So in the typical Forever Night fashion, there's a criminal who's evading prosecution and there's a and there's a prosecutor who's to bring who's going to bring him down this is nat's brother we learned and then due to the typical kind of like negligent policing we see every week on forever night uh nat's brother gets shot so he's in critical condition and nat's going bonkers here because he's gonna die it's definitely gonna happen at this point, you know, we, we get to meet a bunch of uh, completely irrelevant side characters, such as this guy's wife and kid, who are just, like, cookie cutter and, like, super lame. Nobody spent any time writing these guys. Nat implores Nick because he's definitely going to die. They even bring in a doctor to tell us <laughs> he's definitely going to die. The worst which, doctor ever, by the, the way. The worst doctor ever. The most monotone, <laughs> deadpan, flat delivery you could possibly he, imagine. He just looks like a medical student somewhere who who's going to get an F in bedside yeah. manner when he comes in and tells, oh yeah, we definitely think he, he's he going to die. He clearly doesn't want to be there. He just turns to the screen and tells us, this guy is going to die. Nat sees a big way out of this, which is to turn him into a vampire. So she implores Nick in the most like melodramatic, histrionic way that she possibly can interestingly enough nick is not the shittiest character in this episode nat takes the prize <laughs> for one you owe me nick <laughs> for once nick seems like remarkably level-headed about this entire thing and his first response is no i'm not going to do it but nat keeps pushing and pushing uh at which point we begin working in the subplot this cuts to the past where it turns out hey guess what nick actually uh quote unquote embraced somebody once before and then spoiler guys it didn't work out so hot which is why he is not stoked to do it again. Anyway, Nat wears him down in the way that we all anticipated that she would. He goes ahead and embraces her brother, and then oh, he embraces him at the last possible second too. Last right? possible he second, he, he waits for he waits yeah. for it for the dramatic effect. He's he's, he's got to Nick style it. Mm-hmm. Any 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 whoosies. Shocker of shockers, things worked out just exactly like Nick said. Uh, you know, Nick having 100% of, of vampire experience and Nat, Nat having 1% of vampire experience. Uh, Nat's brother turns into a sociopathic asshole who begins stalking the night, killing the drug dealers that he wasn't able to prosecute. Uh, we get to see some nice... Uh, uh, women torture going on that was completely like uh, gratuitous and and unfortunate. 1992, I guess. Anybody? <laughs> it happens. Um, Could have at, been much worse. At which point, uh, there's like a very random uh, meetup where all the main characters end up at Nick's apartment, of course, because they're searching for him. They're trying to find him, and <laughs> and 
they're saying, well, maybe it's best if he doesn't make it back here and the son just takes him. But spoiler, he's there. And his wife shows up and he, there. And, and, he has, and he has raided Nick's black jacket uh, collection in the, in the closet <laughs> and donned one. Um, so then there's, a, then there's a big vampire fight. Nat's brother is killed. Crucifix is featured prominently in it. Yeah, it indeed. As well as stakings, which mm. leads to the biggest takeaway from the show, which is Nick stakes the shit out of Nat's brother and watches him discorporate into mist... Right, he shoves him into a beam of sunlight. Though. But was that is that what that was? That was why he was lit up. That's like that's why he was lit up, and no one else was. Didn't I, you hear the the window open? It makes that mechanical sound. I did not hear that. Okay. Oh, I didn't hear that either. I I, 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 I know what you were going to talk about. I thought that was moonlight. Oh, I, I got thought, the impression thought, it was. You were talking about the Croix. My whole point was that 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 Nick is supposed to be learning at this point that Lacroix is not dead. Because he staked the shit out of LaCroix, and LaCroix didn't discorporate, mm-hmm. but this dude did. So well, LaCroix also was... caught on fire. <laughs> so, well, anyway, so uh, then they wrap it up with using some like really um, kind of dominate ethically, ethically <laughs> ambiguous uh, uh, use, of use of dominate. That's it. So, uh, see you next episode. Uh, what what did you guys think of? Uh, I will repay. Let's hear your thoughts. Best scenes, worst scenes, takeaways. I really enjoyed seeing uh, Nat be terrible. That was nice to see for once. Where she says, "If it's so, oh, if your life's so gosh. bad, why don't you just walk on the sun right now? Here, I'll help you." And she goes to open the window. <laughs> she tries to kill him. Yeah, it was just like, "Oh, <laughs> Nat, so weird. You're the best." Who's? Oh, I she, I found her really annoying this episode. Well, I mean, obviously, but she's but supposed but, to be. But the, but the yeah. thing I found interesting the most was that that after. After dying and coming back as a vampire, before he was wearing a suit, and after that, he was always wearing Nick's clothes. It was like, yeah. here's my turtleneck sweater. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's Nick's jacket. Because well, he was staying in Nick's place. He when didn't he, bring his wardrobe over. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is, he goes out into the street, kills a bunch of drug dealers, then instead of going back to his own house where his clothes are, he goes back to Nick's house right. and gets dressed up as a, as, as a vampire dude. Right. Because when you become a vampire- You wear turtlenecks, turtleneck sweaters. Yeah. And, uh, my house, my <laughs> house in the suburbs right. is not a safe place for a vampire to stay. There's way too many windows. There's only one room that doesn't have windows, and it's the bathroom on the interior. So I'm just saying, you can't, knew, you can't be doing that. He knew where the black blazers were, and they weren't at his house. It's instinctive. That's like I'm that's God. like aspects level one. Locate <laughs> locate black jacket. As I was watching the episode, I was struck by how handsome the guy who played Nat's brother. I think his name's Richard, right? Richard? Yeah, Richard. Mm-hmm. I was struck by how handsome he was and how much a better actor he was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wish this guy was Nick Knight. Yeah, and that he, Nick he was had played great. Nat's brother. <laughs> the whole time, Nick is still a smarmy shithead. He's still got that kind of like screwed up nerd face where he's like trying to tell everybody how it is the whole fucking time the weird part to me is i don't remember Jeanette being the voice of reason in the show but Jeanette seems to be the voice of reason in the show as far as vampires are concerned she seems to be the only one who tries to talk nick out of whatever dumb thing he's about to do then he does the dumb thing and it doesn't work and he's like oh what do you know it, it didn't and i was like well if you did just listen to Jeanette. That, you would have already that's known. That's a really that. interesting point because LaCroix is like weirdly evil. He's always trying to make Nick be 
super evil, and then Nick is like quote unquote good, and he's got his weird kind of you know ethos, and then Jeanette's like right in the middle, which means that she's the one that actually seems like she has some common sense, yeah, and like <laughs> you know could actually function practically in the world, which she does. Right. In this episode, we get to see her kind of uh, getting all randy for some weird looking dude with a that bottle dude was of wine. Really weird looking. Yeah, yeah, just some uh, some extra guy, and then Nick shows up, and she kind of ditches him for Nick. Then Nick not even him. she keeps saying like, oh. Just yeah, wait a just minute. Wait. She, well, she yeah. still she still sucks face with Nick before he leaves. Yeah, so this it's is just true. it's she always makes time for Nick no matter when he shows up. There was that weird rando vampire that just walked by him and, and, and gave him the fangs in the middle of a club. Yeah, and, uh, right. All right. The masquerade yeah. at the Raven is very thin. And then Jeanette makes a point of if they find after that after Richard's going around killing people, if they find him, they might find the rest of us. So yeah. go deal with this Nick and, that, and but makes no move to help him. That was which I thought was great. I thought that was an interesting point of dialogue because she talks about they, if they find out, and at first I was like, who the fuck is they? And then I guess she means the humans. Yeah, the humans. Right. The humans. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was like, oh, is there like a, a primogen council or something throwing this city who's gonna be cheese? And I'm like, oh no, probably just talking about the stupid humans. She's just talking about the stupid quote unquote masquerade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at another point, uh, Nick, during one of his kind of like bellicose mon- monologues, starts talking about his humanity, right? Like when Nat's like, N- Nat's like completely appalled that her brother goes out and kills four guys. Right. He goes, he goes, well, it wasn't really him, was it? He's lost his humanity. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yep. Yeah, this is this from the guy who, who stakes and kills him, and the guy who took the the leper lady and just and gave her the that, old that, "this is Sparta" kick into a fire pit. <laughs> okay, okay. That leper her. lady was very weird, right? Yes. Because yeah. like, like I couldn't tell where they were supposed to be exactly. The clothes were very weird. Let's and- let's discuss the flashback. Okay. The, the flashback this episode is very kind of strange. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the time period for it is ambiguous. Yes. The place is ambiguous. It's generic. From what I could tell, it was generic England, just judging by yeah. how overcast it was, the beach and the guy's accent. Uh, sometime <laughs> yeah. around, I don't know, the 16th or 17th century would be my best guess. That's kind of where I was clocking it. Now, this it, lady now, in robes steals a couple of like fish or fish. something mm. off of a stand, and these two generically salty-looking guys chase her down and and of course make the lecherous we expect payment oh it doesn't have to be money but we want payment don't worry about it just let it happen then she implores them to leave her alone they pull her her veil off and she's all leprous and at which point one of the guys decides that he, he your life's not shitty enough <laughs> yeah, he's he's shank her i'm gonna stab you to death and leave her on the beach to die which he does well kind of nick finds her and then right, unable to heal her using medicine uh, he decides to take pity on her and and give her the bite, at which point she becomes a vampire. So what's interesting about that scene is what does it for her is not, I can make you well. What does it for her is not, I can save you. What does it right. for her is not, you'll be immortal. What does it for her is, you'll be beautiful again. At which point she perks up and goes, I'd give you my soul for that. And I was like, wow. Yeah, now this <laughs> is, that's this uh, is, not foreboding at all. This is this is interesting. <laughs> this, is, this is a point I kind of wanted to get to, which is um, this is another two-dimensional female character of the many that we've encountered watching Forever Night that is uh, kind of like this like tartish seductress mm-hmm. who only really has one thing on her mind, which her is looks. like being being hot, being evil, and dragging men to their doom. So right now there's really like two types of females on the entire show, which are just like evil seductresses and then kind of like dowdy librarians. Man. You know, I mean, like like uh, Richard's wife, well, the lady in the Sarah, pilot wasn't. She definitely seemed that way. 
Dude, the lady the pilot was like mousy as shit. Come yeah, she was now. mousy, but she wasn't. I don't. She. I guess she went from one to the other. She swung through the gamut because she went from <laughs> and then being she like became a vampire a person, then she became a vampire, and she became evil. But I mean, this the the the. the all and do you think Jeanette is like an evil seductress? I kind of view her oh, as just amoral. On. I don't know. Mm. I, I, I I would have considered her more evil had she done more evil stuff. But at this point in the show, I'm just kind of like, oh, she's just the voice of reason. Jeanette's not like overtly evil, but she's sort of like she's almost. Oh, she's not good either. Definitely not. Yeah. So so really, like the one defining quality that we have with this this leper female character is that she's incredibly vain. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all, I mean. That's all they wrote on her on her background sheet when they were writing her for the script <laughs> is vain, and then appearance for vain, <laughs> and then she becomes a vampire. Uh, she uses her 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 vanity to her own destruction. Which now I thought they really missed an a, a an awesome idea here of having Nick's uh, progeny walking around uh, Toronto or whatever. Um, I thought that he could go down to the to the raven and interact with her and she'd be you know terrible and he'd be like oh this is why i don't want to embrace again but instead it just shows him like literally just kind of pushing her down <laughs> he's going into fire. the fire like, yeah yeah i mean and, and she falls into right. the fire in such a way that if you were just like a regular person you'd be like really burned you'd probably right. go to the hospital or something but you wouldn't die she's like ah and that's it all right so she's that- too beautiful she didn't want to break a nail trying to get out of the fire <laughs> It's That's just, what was going it's on. It's just so funny why, watching him push her down, like 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 she's like yeah. his little his yeah. little brother, and then just watching her writhe like a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then it's over and you're yeah. okay that's who knew killing vampires was was so easy you make it look so hard the rest of the time yeah no kidding that yeah oh that's another thing that really bummed me out was like how uh richard was like beating the shit out of nick after he's been a vampire for like two days and nick's been a vampire for like hundreds of years and yet somehow the higher by the hierarchy of powers like richard's still equal to or nick better had to wait for Nat to come to grips with the fact he needed to die before he could she overpower him. She said that when he was walking, shock, walking through I the door. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with an explanation. My explanation is, is that Richard was flesh on blood from having just drained from oh, people. Oh, and Nick is always starving and, himself. Yeah, and Nick, is all, Nick, Nick is making a big point of like washing the blood down the drain out of his wine glass while he's playing the piano. Yeah, until he's like dumping bottles of it down this guy's throat later on in the episode. It's very yeah. weird watching him with another vampire and a vampire he created. He seems to be all about his personal redemption the rest of it, but he's just doesn't seem to want to help this other guy at all. It doesn't seem to even care. Yeah, he's like, hey, he, you're like a vampire now. Yeah. I'm gonna go to work. Yeah, I'm gonna he go doesn't work. call him yeah, sick. Totally, totally. He's like, he's like, oh, you can't see your wife. You're gonna have to stay in my my fortress house. But but uh, the door's unlocked. Yeah, so you can get out anytime you want. And to- oh, by totally the way, you've been scoffing at everything I've been trying to tell you that yeah. I'm telling you super important. But I'm yeah. not gonna worry about that. I'm Peace the, out, sucker. No, no rules. I'm not gonna tie you down. I'm not gonna lock you in a room. Nothing. I'm just gonna just just by the way, don't don't leave. And there's five dollars on the counter for pizza <laughs> all right all right nick nice fail anyway i thought it was a good episode um fashion was pretty lame i thought overall uh natalie was terrible uh skanky's hardly in it stone tree is the same as he always is the police work is shoddier Awful. than ever yep. almost non-existent though which is good <laughs> yeah really once the police work fades to the back and you start actually having a vampire melodrama the show gets a lot better i'd like to send that message back to 1992 but i guess it didn't get there i guess i did not invent that time machine all right guys so um we're gonna wrap that up when we come back we'll talk about some vampire books what do you guys think vampire books. sounds great sounds great see you in a minute. <laughs>
And we're back. We're back to talk about collecting vampire books. I know it's like everybody's favorite hobby. We all yeah. fucking love it. Right. <laughs> I don't need to collect vampire <laughs> books anymore. Is it a hobby or is it a lifestyle? See, Adam, you just need to throw all your shit out. And then yeah, and then start over again. over again. Yeah, man. Exactly. I've done it like three times now. I can be like the Pokemaster. Gotta catch them all. I catch all them damn books. <laughs> Let's talk about some books then. Yeah, right. Okay, so... um. In terms of Vampire the Masquerade, which is what we're talking about today, we're not talking about we're not talking about the Requiem. Uh, the, the game that people ask me about the most is Masquerade. Okay, and so we're, that's the game we're talking about. And there's three editions you can chase. Okay, now I think that amongst the three of us the three here, editions you're referring to are first edition, second edition, revised edition. There's there, also twentieth edition. There is the twentieth. You don't anniversary have to edition. chase that one. You just buy it on Drive Through RPG. Yeah, and so people, collecting that's easy. If you want twentieth anniversary edition, type Drive Through T H R U RPG dot com into your browser, and you can get all of them there. Yeah, and, and people ask me all the time. They say, "Should I just get those V twenty books because they're kind of spendy?" And I say, "This is my piece of advice on that. Like, look." They're just a giant pile of rules. Like the especially the core one, it's like a five hundred page rule book. Okay, it has the one. The one thing I would say is, if you're some kind of completionist, it has every bloodline in it. Yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, uh, it compiles them all into one compendium. And so, if you want it all in one place, it's great for that. Yeah, it's great for having like all, oh, and every, all the disciplines and, and and every rule. Every rule is in one book. But it's a giant fat book just of rules. Does it have it, all of the thaumaturgy paths? It doesn't, right? Because wow. there's still extra ones in like blood sacrifice and, and the other ones. Oh, I, I I couldn't even tell you at this point. It's not like I've done a comparison. Yeah, um, there's there's so many thaumaturgy but, paths. But really the point that I'm trying to make here is that if you want to get a sense of the setting, the reason that people come back to Vampire over and over again, the reason why that game has been so successful over the course of the last 20, 30 years is that it has a very rich mythology. And if you want to buy that setting, if you want to buy that mythology, you can't buy it uh, at the V20 stuff. Either that or you have to spend a lot of money to get it. Uh, I think that the V20 books are almost kind of written from the idea that you know the game that you're buying. They're not really heavily invested in getting you invested in the setting. So I like to recommend people to buy the edition that I got started on, which is second edition. What do you guys think? Second edition, definitely. I have no experience with first edition. Second edition was the one I got started on. It's the one I like best. Um, I don't think that revised and 20th are bad. Uh, I think that second is grittier. Revised and 20th are a lot more... Well, revised is a lot more polished. 20th is drier to me. 20th is fucking antiseptic. If you want to sit around reading a giant 500-page VCR manual... Go for it. Yeah. Knock yourself out. I don't. That's not fun to me. Right. Revised prevent, uh, Revised is a much, I, I would say, cleaner, more sanitized kind of version than I feel that second is. Second is darker to me. It's, it's grittier. It's more definitely gothic. Dark. It's more punk. Definitely so more dark I, than third. I prefer that, but that's not to say revised is bad. And, and I've seen revised more than I've seen second lately. So if, if what you need are core books for the setting and everything else revise is not a terrible way to go but if you can get second it w- i would encourage you to to pick up the second books i, I was ben, i, I was looking at ebay auctions today and there's tons of them out there for for a second edition stuff if you want it like the, yeah okay the, so i'm the, thinking more the the used bookstores that i go to the thing is 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 well we'll get to the collecting we're going to get to the collecting angle at the at the, at the end here we're going to talk about some prices and some some mo- modus operandi but uh before we do that i really want to kind of shake out what what mo- what books 
we feel like we need. So um, <clears throat> there's, there's, there's a big distinction between the second edition and revised in that if you buy the second edition, you have to buy four books to essentially play the game, okay? Now, because these books are something like 25 years old each, you should conceivably be able to pick them up for peanuts on eBay. There will be some guys out there who are really trying to twist your nipples and get get a lot out of it, out of it for them, but you should be able to get them very cheap. Now, if you want to play revised, you only need one book, right? If you if you because they got all they got both the factions, the Camarill and the Sabat, and they got all the independent clans, all the Sabat clans, all the Camarill clans, they're all in one book. Right. Unless you want additional detail on the factions, then you can pick up the guide to the Camry and the guide to the Sabat. There's also a guide to the Anarchs if, right. if you really want that. It's, um, it's pretty easy to build off of it and create detail. So at most four books, I would say. At the at the second edition level, they were still kind of expanding the game with each book that they released. And so you need the second edition core book. You need the player's guide. You need the player's guide to the to the Sabbat, Sabbat the Storyteller's Handbook to the Sabbat. And only then do you really have the full game. However, because of what Ben and Adam were both saying, the game feels much more... You know what? It, it kind of... In the 1990s, Vampire was the rock and roll role-playing game. It was the game that felt like you were at like a small dive bar seeing a small touring band and the lights were red and the posters were made on a, uh, from at a coffee shop and like stapled up on the wall and there were girls there with pink mohawks and shit. Like here's Guns N' Roses in L.A. bar. Exactly. That's, that's, how, that's how Vampire felt. It felt like the fucking upstart young rock and roll role-playing game. And you lose that by the time you get to third. Well, but, so with each additional book that came out for second, it was peeling another layer off. So you had the core book, and that was essentially the seven clans and the Camarilla. Right. And that was one layer of the game. Then they had the player's guide, and that was the independence. And that was another layer of the game where they exposed, hey, it, the world is wider than you thought it was. Here are these other vampires uh, and other clans that you didn't know anything about, and they have their own strangeness to them. And then the guide to the Sabbat further exposed that. Here's the Sabbat. Here's this whole other organization that... Um, that we didn't tell you anything about. And here's a bunch of their information. And then Storyteller's Guide to the Sabbat was another layer beyond that to, you know, dive you further into that world and further into the secrets behind it. And if you want to complete that whole series, because the Sabbat books were written by one guy, there's also Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. Yeah, I, I really would leave that out. I would leave it one. out. But if you, but it is part of that whole peeling back the onion to see what's underneath it. Yeah, I mean, we have to keep in mind like the era in which these books were written, and it was the era of of Twin Peaks and the X Files, mm-hmm. the the era of the the sort of like uh, Russian nesting doll of truths and secrets and vast conspiracies and when you read the second edition core book there's this idea that there are these other vampires out there and they're very mysterious you get the player's guide as you said you become enlightened but the sabbat through all of these books are kind of portrayed as being like the mysterious other as the enemy and then by the time those books come around now they're playable 
Whereas that is the premise from the very jumping point of of Revise, which is, oh, run a Sabbath game, run an independent game, run a Camarilla game, run a game with all three squished together, run a game with a fucking werewolf in there. Right. No, I'm kidding. That's I would not say a the one thing. group that they never really delved into was the Inkanu. Thankfully, they they left them alone pretty much. Well, yeah. So, um, so now we kind of have a handle, right? Like all all three of us when we made our lists, we li- we we listed essentially the same books. Okay, so, f- and we're going to put this all up on the um, Facebook page. We're going to have this on the webpage, FullMetalRPG.com, FullMetalRPG on Facebook. You can go there. You can look at each one of our lists. You can see way th- where they are the same, where they are not the same. All right, so for my core list, the list that I feel like you got to pick up regardless of what you're going to do with the game, I have uh, Masquerade 2nd Edition Core Book, 2nd Edition Player's Guide, um, I have the first edition storyteller's guide, and I can answer questions about that if you want. But that's just if you're out there and you're collecting, that is my pick. Um, player's guide to the Sabbath, storyteller's handbook to the Sabbath, and then I say, just sprinkle in a few clan books to taste. Just whatever ones kind of tickle your fancy. Just just <laughs> go out there and pick out a couple of them. Make sure you pick out the Tim Bradstreet covers, okay? Not the Van Fleet covers. Not the Van Fleet covers. No hate on Van Fleet, but the material in the trim Tim Bradstreet covers is more poignant and kind of characterful. The the Van Fleet covers, they start getting kind of uh, dumb and instruction booky. And, and this is and this is also sort of the difference between editions too, right? Because the Van, the Bradstreet was coming out during second edition. The yeah, the Van Fleet stuff was coming out during third edition. Yeah, it just gets confusing when you say first edition clan books, but those were coming out during the second edition. Yeah, I so know. I like to say buy the Bradstreet covers. Just 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 pick out a couple clans that you're interested in. Maybe a clan that you know your friend is interested in. You can get those books dirt cheap. Have them on your table during character creation to get your friends inspired. What are your guys' core sets? The books you got to have. Ben, it looks like you got a list up. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I definitely follow you with the second edition for core books. Essentially, the the core book, the player's guide, guide to Sabbat. Um. I think that uh, also the clan books. My personal favorite. My personal favorite of the clan books is uh, I, I have two, and they both sort of mirror the clans that I, I, I really love, and that's uh, the Followers of Set and the Simishi. So Cool. And cool. I, I recommend those if you ever want them. So. Cool. The clan books I would recommend would be Zimishi, yep. again. Uh, what what up to uh, uh, the the homie R-Sites on on Insta for calling us out for being a bunch of Zimacy lovers on this, on this program. Cause we really are <laughs> definitely. Um, we well, are. I mean, it's one of those, we it's, it's like, it's like Dracula, right? Like, I mean, it's one of the classic, look, classic vampires to, to us. It seems like a no brainer. Like, Oh, who, what's not to love. It's the best vampire clan that there is, but everybody else out there who's listening to this, they're like, those guys are bonkers. They like this very particular thing. Anyway, we should show them my wedding ring. Oh yeah, it's true. We should put a picture of it up yeah. on the on the Insta. No <laughs> doubt. Don't leave without me taking a picture of that. Sure. So I was gonna say, so the clan books, like I, I do say, sprinkle the taste with your 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 yeah, desires. Definitely. But if you want to buy some that I put the the Brendan Carey and seal of approval on, uh, Zimacy, Lasombra, Giovanni. Those are the ones that are like the best written. You can just sit in bed and read those things like they're little novels, and you 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 they'll be fun. They'll be fun little reads, and then you can just chuck them to the side because I mean seriously, they they're about the size of a magazine and they cost about as much. So uh, Adam, what do you got? What's in your core list? My core list is 
like you guys said, it's uh, the second edition core book, Player's Guide, Player's Guide to Sabbat, Storyteller's Guide to Sabbat. I think if you have those and or the revised equivalents, which would be um, the main book and Guide to the Camarilla, Guide to the Spot. Uh, I, I don't really do much with Anarch, so I don't have a use for that one, but that might be another one you add on if you want to go revised. You can get away with four books just as your core set, and you can do a lot with those four books. I don't think you even really need to add in anything else to get a lot of mileage out of the game. The clan books are great. They're a lot of fun. Uh, the, really, the only bad one that I didn't care for at all was the Ravenous one of the ones that I own. I don't uh, own yeah, all of that them. Poopy. That one's not very good, so I would... I would or I would actually say it, if you're going to go Ravnos, get bad the Bane Fleet cover we don't and really not like the Ravnos. Bradstreet one. Huh? Is it that it's bad or we don't really like Ravnos? It's bad. It's it's just bad. It's not a well-done book, and it doesn't add any depth to them. I think the, Vlanfe- the Van Fleet one adds more depth to that clan if you're looking to play Ravnos. If something about the Ravnos appeals to you, that would be the one I would go to the second edition okay. and get that one instead. I take your point. Um... I, I will point out that neither one of you guys throw a, a storyteller handbook in there other than the one that's specifically for the Sabbat. I have to recommend a storyteller handbook for new players. The storyteller handbooks tends to have weird shit in them that is not in the core books. And then they have these great little um, essays about the art of storytelling. And you can get into them. And they kind of truck in kind of like high-level storytelling uh, ideas and concepts that you can do that are beyond what you may have learned playing Dungeons & Dragons with your chums in the garage, right? Where things like soundtracks, things like blue booking, things like uh, props and atmosphere. These are all things that when I was in college I was reading about in these books and I was thinking that they were bullshit and nobody did them. And I would play Vampire at High Noon on Tuesday with my friends and I wouldn't do any of this crap. And then when I learned from essentially like my my role playing mentor Adam Norwood that yes, in fact, people do do this shit, and in fact, it's fucking awesome. It completely next leveled my game. It completely changed the way I play Vampire. It completely changed the way my players responded to Vampire. So read those storyteller articles, and then execute them because as hokey and corny as some of that shit sounds, it will next level your game. Um, also, if you're into weird freakish shit, if you're one of those, like I'm into esoterica, uh, storyteller handbooks tend to have weird bloodlines, strange disciplines, infernalism, that kind of crap that's usually in the things like the storyteller manuals. So for revised or for um, the second edition, <coughs> I recommend a storyteller manual. So um, let's get into what, what I'm calling our advanced readings. When, what, what, each one of us has selected like a number of books that we think would flesh out a collection, right? That we would, re- now these are not for pure beginners. These are sort of like you've gone out, you've collected your first four or five books, you've you've, you've glanced through it, you're ready for something and, with and some tooth. Looking at all of our lists, there's definitely books from other lines on this list, which is interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. Because the White Wolf shit's all compatible. The Storyteller system, well, not, okay, not all the White Wolf shit, but all the Storyteller system shit is compatible. So, um... You can you can take books from the uh, other other uh, world of darkness lines, merge them in really easily. All right, so on my advanced reading list, I have Children of the Night, which is actually a third edition revised book. That is a book full of signature characters and other just vampire characters. It gives a bunch of story seeds as to what they're up to all over the world. I have Children of the Inquisition, which is 
the first edition uh, signature character book. It has many, many fewer characters, vastly fewer characters. Is that still a chase book? No, no, no. It's, it's okay. now actually very easy to get your hold. For a long time, that was a really expensive book. Oh, dude! Yeah, long. you can find it much easier these yeah, days. Yeah, it's like 50, fifteen bucks. Yeah, now. I see it in used bookstores now. I, I didn't ever okay. used to see it. Yeah, it was like a hundred bucks before. Now it's fifteen. I've actually thought about picking up a copy that's not as chewed up as mine is, <laughs> just because. <laughs> it's like, oh, maybe I should get another one. Uh, the next book on my list is Destiny's Price, which is a Black Dog book for for uh, Mage the Second Mage the Ascension Second Edition. Uh, Destiny's Price deals with um, street level games, uh, especially kind of like hard living, like drugs, alcohol, crime, street gangs. Uh, the book was published in 1995, so I don't know if it's going to be like super relevant now, but if you need some story starters, it's a good one to look at. I recommend Giovanni Chronicles number one, at the very least, to everybody. Uh, Montreal by Night. Every, if you guys have been listening to the program more than once, you know about my fascination with Montreal by Night. And then I also recommend the book Book of Nod, which I'll talk about a little bit more with Destiny's Price here in a minute. Ben, what's on your advanced reading list? Well, I'm sort of going to go out of order here than what's on the list, because um, I'm going to pick it up with Giovanni Chronicles. Um, I sort of have this... For me, I think one of the things that that bring that, that I enjoy about uh, about getting into like deep into the world of darkness is sort of like the history behind like all the organizations and why they happen and what you know what's going on and and I think that the that my love of that is mirrored by a lot of other people's like love of that, which is why they print things like the Book of Nod and things like this, you know. Yeah. Um, it's the interaction with that mythology. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, on my list, I have Transylvania Chronicles 1 and 2 and Giovanni Chronicles 1 and 2, um, as well as actually uh, the Dark Ages main book and the Dark Ages companion, because uh, I think that both of those help set the, the understanding behind like all the stuff that happens historically helps set the stage for modern nights and what's going on, like who exactly the Sabbat are. And beyond, like what you see in modern knights, and and there's the genesis that formed them from the anarchs, essentially. Um, I find it all very interesting, so I definitely put that on my list. To that end, I mean, I was thinking about it too, and I was like, I was like, okay, so you know, I could probably put. Uh, part of me wanted to put down like my favorite city books. You know, I was like, okay, so I could put down like a Sabat City book, a Camarillo City book that I liked a lot, and then maybe like you like the Camarillo City book. <laughs> Which I had a, that was okay. So, so I had a hard time figuring out a Camberwell City book I really liked. Yeah, um, I was thinking about going with New Orleans, but uh, it was a little rough. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have actually very recently recommended New Orleans to somebody who's who's looking into this, and I I, I told him I was like, I ran this game twice for both lines. And I love New Orleans, but I rewrote the book each time. Yeah, and 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 you know, I never liked LA much, and uh, and New York, I wasn't a big fan of. So so I, I narrowed it down. I was like, well, I really like Montreal. That's a sweet city book. Um, I didn't like Berlin. I I mean, there's so many of them I didn't like. But then Dark Ages has some cool ones, right? Like Constantinople, Transylvania by mm. Night. Um, but I left those off because I figured. They're a little bit beyond where I was going with this anyway. Transylvania is not a city book. It's a region book. <laughs> well, so sure. But that's it's the only thing to bear in mind there. Is but but it's, it's the same idea, right? Like in, involved in the concept. I think yeah. there was only like one other region book in all of the World of Darkness, and that was Rage Across the Amazon, right? 
Or no, I think there's Rage Across Australia. Egypt. There's Rage Across Egypt. Rage Across Egypt. So the yeah. so the, so the werewolf werewolf, werewolf was Rage Across whatever it was. So Rage Across yeah. the Appalachias, all that. The werewolf so had all of those. Kind werewolf of books. got more region books. Vampire got yeah. city books. World of Darkness had had the World of Darkness books. Those would cover regions, but they wouldn't do it in the depth that the werewolf books did. So you'd get like a, a brief thing on like Australia, where they talk about the Prince of Sydney. And those sorts of things. So if you're really looking for region stuff, you can go with the World of Darkness book. There's first and second edition, right? So oh yeah. And I and I think that like uh, the final book I have to run on my list, which I know Adam shares as well as Ghoul's Fatal Addiction. Um, that book is great. It also, I mean, it really helps sort of like understanding the mindset of uh, human servitors of vampires and how fucked up they are and how just like I mean that book's pretty twisted. So yeah, yeah. There we go. Cool, cool, good list. Adam, what do you got on your list, your advanced reading list? This is Adam's advanced reading list. So mine starts with ghouls, like Ben said. It's just a great book. Uh, it really gets you into the head of vampiric servitors, and I feel like you will be dealing a lot with ghouls if you are playing or running the game, so it's good to have, and it's good information to have. I also have Sorcerer and Mediums. These are both... Uh, I don't think Sorcerer was a Year of the Ally book, but these are both Ally books for other lines. Sorcerer was was more... It's World of Darkness, but it's kind of... Yeah. It's, it's mage-focused. And Mediums was Wraith-focused. But I feel like those kind of characters really fit in well with the dark vampiric world and the, and the gothic punk world of vampires. Better than Wraiths and, and Magicians. Generally. Better than Wraiths and Mages do. So, it, you know, unless you're running a Giovanni game, it, it makes a lot of sense to, if you want to have that that come up in game or have that be a part of your game to have a medium character in the game. Uh, and one of the other books I really highly recommend is not actually a Vampire the Masquerade book and not even a White Wolf book. It's it's Damnation City by Onyx Path for Vampire the Requiem. And I think that was a White Wolf book. Was it White Wolf? Oh, was that? I thought Onyx it was one of the last ones. Oh, okay. Maybe it was a White Wolf book then. Uh, it was. It's a great resource if you're going to do any sort of world building on your own or city building on your own. And it's not very heavily Requiem focused. It's it is very focused on how to build a city, how to build a compelling environment, and a lot of storytelling advice as well. So I think that is a great book for when you're ready to kind of branch out on your own and start building your own city. Which I don't know why you wouldn't, because I don't. Uh, to me, what really interests me in vampires not necessarily playing something that somebody else has prepackaged and made ready for me, unless I'm going to do heavy amounts of uplifting and changing on it. Uh, I kind of like to build things myself and put things into uh, my games that interest me that I want to see in game. So I think that's a great book for that. And then if you want to get further back into peeling the layers off even further, like I was talking about before, you can get the Talmahi Ra book. If you're going to get Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, I recommend you also get the newer one, uh, which is the Talmahi Ra. It's the, it's the newer yeah, V20 book. You're you're, you're recommending the Tomahe Rob book from V20 from rather V20. than Dirty Secrets right. of the Black Hand. Well, right? so the whole thing is, if you don't read Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, I think you'll miss out on some stuff. Uh, I think you'll miss out on some stuff that's in the Tomahe Rob book. So to the see, extent I recommend reading it, I recommend reading it so that you can get into the other book, tuck into that, and kind of see how they evolved the concept and what they did with it. It's not strictly necessary. These guys will probably never show up in your game. It's just purely if you're interested in the lore of the world and the characters 
and uh, these these kind of elder weirder vampire groups. I, th- I think that what I'm about to say will probably sell a bunch of Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand books, but you really don't want these guys in your game. No, and and, and I'm not. We did a whole episode about this. It's it's, it's sort of back in the Shadow Sworn catalog. If you want to go back and find it on iTunes, you want to go back and find it on on, on SoundCloud, but. It's it's kind of a circus sideshow of like bad bad vampire shit that you probably just want to keep out of your chronicle. But if you want to keep putting your chronicle, more power to you. That's all good. It's not really to our taste. And in the, in, and every iteration of that book has been like intensely controversial. So I mean, you know, uh, love and do as thou wilt. Um, so okay, we have some interesting stuff going on here. Oh, you know what I wanted to say? The last the last thing I wanted to say about about Damnation City. If you're an OSR player and you're familiar with lamentations of the flame princess then you'll understand this analogy um vornheim is to lamentations of the flame princess as damnation city is to vampire games okay it's an essential document you can use it for any of your vampire games I'd say maybe any of your World of Darkness games, mm-hmm. maybe any of your urban horror games. It's just a really great resource to have on hand. It's un- unlike Vornheim, which is very slim, it's very thick, so you can mine the shit out of that fucking thing. It's got lavish illustrations. It's got like a fucking fold-out, center fold-out map thing. It's got all kinds of crazy shit. And it used to be a real pain in the ass to get. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it slightly hard to find? Because I recall the last time I went looking for it for somebody after recommending it going, whoa. Yeah, it used to be a big pain in the ass to get. But since Vampire the Masquerade has been kind of creeping back in people's consciousness, they've been shucking their Requiem books. And now it is down to cover price. Nice. I'll pick it up for that because it's easily worth it. Easily. Easily. All right. And you can't really say that about a lot of Requiem books. No, you really can't. Requiem published a lot of books that were kind of like, eh, pass. You know what I'm saying? Saying you could you could pass on them really easy, but Damnation City is a fucking jewel. I don't care what gothic horror game you run, pick yourself up a copy of Damnation City. I'd say that and the the clan books were probably the ones I liked best. Ooh, for Requiem, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, so now that we've kind of gone over our respective lists. Let's kind of break it open and kind of talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about what we picked and why. I think that there's a couple. Just hearing both of your lists, I think there's a couple of little interesting ideas that I'd like to explore a little bit more. Okay. The first one I'd like to kind of just put out for everybody to talk about is Ben's. Um, kind of supposition that once you have a conversant idea of modern knights vampire the next thing you should do is go back and get into dark ages right yeah i gotta say i agree yeah dark ages is a great line um beyond just on its own it's a great line yeah uh, now we're talking right now. We should, I feel like we need to say this. We, we're talking about Vampire: The Dark Ages, not Dark Ages Vampire, which is the second edition. Mm. We did. We're we're not fans of the of Dark Ages Vampire. We're fans of Vampire: The Dark Ages, and these books are obviously very very similar. But there's some some definitely some some uh, editorial changes between editions. And the way that the, the tone of the game, the emphasis of the game is different in each one. Yeah, because the first edition was coming out like right around the second edition, right? And the yeah, and then this one came out after third edition, the the second edition, right? Whatever. So, um, yeah, I, there's a lot of I don't know cool lore that's involved in all that stuff, right? I mean, Transylvania Chronicles deals with like deaths of antediluvians, deals with with like. F- formulation or formation of the Camarilla um 
the 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 Giovanni Chronicles has like another the other deaths of the Antiluvians, which aren't that common, but you know whatever. Um, and then it has like the like a huge part of the formula formation of the the Sabbat, like uh, in the Black Monastery stuff. Well, I mean that's cool. I mean I and I do like those those modules for the uh, storylines that they have in them. They kind of give you a driving force around which to build your story that kind of catch the characters up in a bunch of stuff that's happening in the history of the primary vampire institutions that the the story itself deals with. Uh, However, my take on Dark Ages is a little bit different than yours. Like, I'm not quite as into the, like, uh, the the epicness of the simulationism as much as I feel that once you've read a vampire game, and you've kind of got you've kind of gotten that idea down. The first question you're going to ask yourself is, well, what happened before this? Because these guys can be around for a hundred years, and they can be around for three hundred years, and five hundred sure. years, and sure, thousand sure. years. That, that's what I'm saying. It's an extension of yeah. like of where you're coming from from the from from modern nights, right? Like, what? Yeah. Where where do these guys come from, and what what happened? Why are they like this? You know, why why are there these organizations that exist? You know. And so, sometimes when people ask me like, oh, I want to get into vampire. I almost want to say, oh, just skip the second edition. You'll kind of get to it when you're done playing Dark Ages. Because I think it's so fun to start out playing a character in the late uh, late 1100s, work your way forward. Sure. And, 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 you know, you talk a lot about humans being a social animal and what it means to be a vampire. And then you're talking about, like, really like an antisocial predator. Yet they have these, like, groups that they associate with, you know, and and why, why do they do that? You know, because it, 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 I think that those things are kind of interesting. What about you, Adam? How do you feel about uh, Dark Ages and the way it syncs up with uh, Masquerade? I've always loved Dark Ages. It, I mean, I guess the one thing I would say when you're playing in Dark Ages is there's this potential for you to alter the meta plot for whatever that means, better or worse. Um, so if you're going back to Dark Ages, you need to be aware of that. Uh, you're either going to have to be like, hey, I'm not going to let you change these things, or you're going to have to go, hey, this may just completely alter uh, the future world that we're playing in based on the decisions that you make here and and the actions that you take. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily a problem. It's just something to be aware of before you play it. I like Dark Ages a lot just because that whole idea of low-tech and vampires being lords of the night and ruling over the, the peasants and all of that, I think is a totally different flavor of game and a totally different flavor of horror than the more modern night with the masquerade and the gothic punk aesthetic, you know, when you don't have to hide what you are and you are terrorizing these villages and, you know, killing with impunity. Um, So to that end, I think it's a different type of game. If, you know, it, it scratches a different itch. I think they're very different types of games. So, you know, play the one that you feel that you want to or the one that interests you most. Sure. I like Dark Ages a lot. I ran a Dark Ages game for years and years and years and I loved it and I had a lot of fun running it. Um, and it probably went on longer than any modern Knights game that I ran. Uh, well, it has, a, it has a lot more potential to do that, right? Right. Because if you start uh, a vampire game and you're like, okay, this game begins in October of 2017 and then you start like running it forward week by week you're, there's 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 this buffer that your characters start running up against in terms of jumping forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you start in the past, you have these big 
these opportunities for right. downtime. Let's skip 100 years. Yeah, let's skip forward 100 mm-hmm. years, see where people are at. And that's something that's critical to when you're looking at vampire in film and television. These kind of like flash forwards and flashbacks are like critical to the sort of like the scope of the story. You know, we see mm-hmm. it in, in the in the uh, Coppola Dracula. We see it in fucking Angel, for Christ's sake. See it in Forever and, Night. Uh, yeah, Forever as, Night, yeah. <laughs> as we have mentioned many times, this is like a reoccurring motif mm-hmm. in Forever Night. Um and, and it's just kind of fun playing different eras. Though. It I is. Mean, even it New is. Wave Requiem is one of my favorite versions of Requiem. I love New Wave Requiem. I think that's a great game. So I think I think that's very interesting, Ben. Thanks for thanks for sort of like like like, like uh, putting a name to that aesthetic, Adam. When I'm looking at your list, what really strikes me is that I can see kind of in the way in your game design, you are baking in a lot of interaction with mortal characters. Mm-hmm with a lot of humans because you've got in your advanced reading you've got ghouls mediums and sorcerers right and the I, characters most likely to run afoul of or interact with vampires so talk to us about that man what, sure how, how, so what, what goes to into me that? elder vampires are insanely paranoid predators they're not necessarily going to invite five neonates into their parlor to talk to them uh, so they are going to interact with you through proxies a lot be those proxies a ghoul uh, or, or you know, a mortal servitor, a bloodbound servitor, whatever it is. Um, not necessarily a ghoul, but just someone who's bloodbound to them. They're going to interact with you in that way. The other thing is there are a lot more humans than there are vampires. So how often are you going to be dealing with vampires on a nightly basis? Probably not as often as you're going to be dealing with humans in some capacity. Plus, I feel it highlights the difference between you and the humans. They're incredibly frail. Um they break easy. They're still a threat to you, though, just because of their numbers. So it's just kind of always interesting seeing that shadow play, that interaction between the two groups and, and how they uh, deal with each other. And those kind of dalliances, because the sorcerers are going to know about youth either through magical means or whatever, or be after the same MacGuffin you're after, because they are interested in magical artifacts and items. Uh, mediums deal with the dead, so they may know about you just because they're talking to one of your victims or something, or you know, uh, someone who was a victim of a vampire. So they can be an incredible resource or an antagonist to you as well. Uh, I just kind of like that dynamic. I like there to be a lot of humans in the game, and I like there to be humans in the world. Because like it or not, you are a vampire living in a human world if you are playing in modern nights. Uh, and you will have to interact with them in some capacity. They will complicate your plans in some manner. I um I hear what you're saying. It, it's interesting hearing you kind of put that design principle out there like that. Because I am the exact opposite in the way that I run my games. I think you can see that by my list, where I'm like, here's a book of signature characters, here's a book of signature characters, here's a city where all the signature characters live. <laughs> um, I I want my players to interact with vampires. Like, when they become vampires, I want them to interact with vampires. And I actually kind of discourage interacting with the mortal characters, and I want them to interact with other, other vampire characters. And... Uh, the reason I do that is because, and I think that this is partially because of the way I run humans and partially because of the experiences I've had as a player, is I feel like um, interactions with mortals after you become a vampire can become kind of like jokey and they can become kind of like um, like kind of precious. Like when you... Like okay, you guys know that weird symptom that happens when you go to a uh, fucking village in D and D, and you go to a village and like nobody uh, in the no no GM has ever run a medieval village 
they've never been to one because the Middle Ages are over. And they make they make all the villagers kind of like a cartoon, like fucking Beauty and the Beast. And they're like, oh, there's a fat baker with like rosy cheeks, and he's like, he's like, oh, I'll sell you cakes for ten cents, ten a penny, and all this shit. And they're like all really nice all sure. the time. Like, there's something about when you start interacting with humans. Because they're supposed to be the contra to vampires. But I feel like they always end up coming off like way too nice and way too like swell. And they're like a bunch of nice guys. And, that, and that's just me. I don't think that has anything to do with the way that you run them. And I'm not trying to, to take a dump on the way you run it. Because I, I, I think it's a good idea the way you're doing it. I no, really, we're enemies forever now. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I'm the one that's always popping off about, about street level games. But I looked at your list and I was like, Adam's like running a way more street level game than I am. I like to sort of corral my players into interacting with other vampires because to me that's where the stakes are at, you know? Like that's where the the power struggles are, that's where the characters that can oppose them the most like readily are. That's where the the characters who have, who have power that they can kind of dole out in little chits, you know, are. So, I'm always trying to engineer situations in which like like some people will be like some jeff he's always like i go up to the tavern keep and i say top of the morning to you squire and i'm like yeah okay he serves you a beer and he leaves <laughs> you know because i don't want to fucking deal with it like i want to get to the part where they talk to claudius giovanni you know what i'm saying that's that's the part that i want to do yeah see i, I ran afoul playing vampire of what i like to call like the five-man wrecking squad where you would get a coterie and they would go meet the NPC character or whatever, and they'd, I kill this guy, and you're going, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and and a five man coterie of neonates is a pretty significant threat to just about anybody, uh, just about anybody, and sure. so I, you know, a lot of that too is just me safeguarding some of these characters against rampaging bands of psychopaths who are just, you know, oh, I'm just gonna, we're all gonna kill this There's guy. There's a reason That's why your elders are paranoid. Yeah, if right. They're, if they're playing it like D&D, then five neonates versus an Ancilla or versus a low-level elder is, like, not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I co- totally vibe to what you're saying. I think that elders would be uh, scary shitless. The thing is, is when you have more to lose, then you become more paranoid, and you have less to gain by going outside your manse. You know, right. you're like you're like. Why would I ever leave? I can just, that's why I use the know? ghouls. To Makes perfect sense to me. That's why they. That's why you know organizations like they can't really exist, right? They've entrapped them all in this sort of like giant web of influence to sort of like keep themselves at the top. Right, but that's the thing. Either I have to have like this army of ghouls who are an implied threat to the players to keep them in line, or it's just like, or just you don't interact with that guy directly. He's not going to invite you to his haven to talk to him. I mean, well, yeah, this is. I think we should do an episode about storytelling here soon right. because I, I'm, I feel like one's coming on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of like flip the narrative on your on your list a little bit. <clears throat> I'm gonna say the thing I love most about your list is taking those books and then having the player characters play from ghouls, sorcerer, and mediums, and then throwing them into the setting of that's Empire. a lot of fun as well. I actually approached ghouls from that from the, from the attitude of a player. I think that book is very useful. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's That's, useful as a GM just figuring out how ghouls would interact with these vampires and how they would, you know, how they would speak to them and what they would do. That's that's just, that's just to me. Um, I think it's just a great book all around. I think it's useful to everybody. All three of those books are very well written, as I recall. 
I think that they're very useful, and the Sorcerer book lets you play these kind of street mages in this kind of a la uh, Hellblazer kind of way. And the magic works better than mage works for me, just because it's more predictable, and and you know, okay, I do this thing, I get this result. Yeah, exactly. The Medium's book gives you kind of a creepy flatliner's way of interacting with this this other subworld that uh, you can have sort of in Venn diagram fashion overlay with the world of vampires as much or as little as you want and that adds an, a rich and interesting uh, uh, substance to the story and then Ghoul's Fatal Addiction now I, I, one of the things that's great about that book is I feel like it gives as much insight into the clans as it does into the ghouls mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. If, if you want to next level your way of looking at how a clan of vampires operates Ghoul's Fatal Addiction will do it for you and it gives you a very interesting series of kind of challenges as a player by playing a ghoul and then and this is the icing on the cake for the exotic guy it introduces the the notion of revenant families which are people who are born ghouls because vampire blood was in their ghouled ancestors blood when and, and it's trickled down over the course of like years and years of of, of, of like interbreeding by playing humans you can be interacting with sort of like low-level vampires, these little Ancilla guys, these neonate guys, and you can get that disbalance of power that I'm talking about when I funnel my characters against power, more powerful vampires. And that, that sense of stakes, that sense of, of um, imbalance is really conducive to horror role-playing, right? Yes. I mean, you want to feel like you're in peril. Right. Absolutely. So, how would we go about collecting this shit, guys? How how would we recommend to our our friends out there to go out there and get this stuff? I think we already mentioned eBay. I'm a huge eBay proponent. Yeah, you mentioned that, brother. Uh, used bookstores. If you have good ones around you, yeah. Amazon has stuff every once in a while as well. You can sometimes find stuff on Amazon better better price. You can find it on eBay. It's that's rare though. In my opinion, people on Amazon are usually trying to gouge. It, it depends. That every once in a while you get gougers, but if you keep an eye on stuff, you'll get someone every once in a while who comes in and just wants to get rid of their book. Has checked what the eBay auction prices generally are, and then prices there's a couple bucks below that just so they can. Mm. pawn it off I feel like um, there's been a couple books I've picked up on Amazon because their availability hasn't really been on eBay like Mm -hmm. it'll be like from an international seller on eBay and I gotta pay like $20 shipping I'm like fuck that so I go on Amazon you usually have to pay a little bit more of a premium for that sometimes also if I'm putting a premium on the quality of the book Amazon is a little bit better because it'll say right on there. A lot of people on eBay are lazy asses now, and they just say, "Look at the picture for description," you know. And then right. it's like, then you open it up, and there's coloring on the inside. Yeah, thanks, guys. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's there's a little bit more um, of a leviathan overlord there with Amazon. Um, eBay is great for the lots. If you're going to get into Vampire and Masquerade, I really heavily suggest going after some lots. I saw a sweet 10 clan book lot today that was like 10 Bradstreet clan books. For how much? Starting I think at what? it was like 60 bucks. That ain't bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Six bucks bad. each. I mean, yeah. they, they sold for 10 when they came out. So Yeah. If you can get um, them anywhere near that, that's not a bad day. I, I You know, you can really, if you, if you watch the lots, <laughs> you, can really, you can really manage what you're paying per book. 
and you can really kind of get you can buy these whole collections and then if you end up starting getting doubles and stuff which is kind of what we've all done you can trade your doubles with your friends you can give them away to other people trying to get people in um but lots are really going to be your best value sometimes for, you end up with triples sometimes you end up with triples <laughs> i definitely did that when i was talking cyberpunk uh yeah it happens it does um Use bookstores is a little more dicey because I think we're sort of uh, have an embarrassment of riches here in Phoenix and that we have like a lot of used bookstores that are very good. Um, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people in other places and it does not seem like that is a common thing in other parts of the country. A lot of the used bookstores, though, put their stock up on eBay and other sales channels. So yeah, this you can is find true. them there. I mean, you know, it's like I know that Half Price Books, one of the big chain bookstores out here, has a website where they put stuff on it. Yeah, and those guys are gougers. I fuck mm-hmm. Half Price Books, they fucking suck. It's hard uh, to navigate their site. It's impossible to find anything. Dude, on it. I just see their shit on eBay or on on mm-hmm. Amazon, and they're always like, "Boo, boo, boo, fifty bucks." And I'm yeah. like, "You're and like, even when you go in there now, it's like sometimes I want to walk up there and say to the clerk, the the title of the store is half price books. Mm-hmm. This book has a cover price of fifteen dollars, and you want thirty five for it. So what's half price about that? Yeah. Well, that was the uh, I found the seventh edition of. Warhammer 40k in there, and they wanted eighty dollars for it. I was like, it's it sells it's, for that. It's much. eighty. Like that's cover price. It's eighty five at the store. Yeah. So um, take five dollars off. Yeah, I guess I'll just go buy it there. I mean, yeah, yeah. And occasionally you find uh, old kind of vintage role playing stores that have a bunch of books, like your experience in uh, Columbus. Oh, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland. There. You yeah, go. yeah. Uh, the the the. Old, kind of like dingy, kind of crusty game stores can be a treasure trove of hobby finds and treasures, as I like to call them. And I I keep a hunt list that uh, I carry with me at almost all times uh, so that I can spontaneously go into places where I am sensing there might be used used role-playing books and hunt them down. And that is a a fun hobby in and of itself. Um, My... My exhortation to you would be, however, do not pay collector prices for anything, okay? Anytime somebody's coming at you with, this is a collector's item, you can just tell them to fuck right off. Because here's the thing about role-playing books and their value. They always go down, okay? New rules come out next year. That's the new hot shit. The fucking book that you're holding in your hand starts plummeting in value. What's okay. that Orc Demon Magic book? <laughs> How much does that go for? It? Uh, I actually just placed a <laughs> interesting story. Interesting story. I placed a offer on one of them because uh, eBay has the option to make your own offer. Yeah, yeah, buy it now. Right. Um, or or, or uh, OBO. Yeah, yeah, OBO. And so on one of the ones that was listed for ninety five dollars. I OBO'd him 55. And what do you say? He has not responded yet. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I looked through all the sold ones and I'm like, this is bullshit. None of these fucking books are selling. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the ones that sold was an 85 that have been slashed through because someone offered an OBO. If, if you then, hold on to them long enough, they will, they will probably start to plummet in value. There's ones every once in a while that don't. That are the chase rares, but for the most part, they get lower in value. If, to my if, embarrassment, I bought the leather-covered vampire of oh, stuff. Oh, so that's where this is coming from. And uh, I still uh, have them. Uh, like uh, I still have them, but it's wait, just like they're not worth anything. You're gonna send your kids to college? With no, those, they're not right? worth anything. They're worth nothing. I think they're worth less than like the regular ones. So you no, can. Wow. I don't know about. Well, anyway, here here's my point. I paid forty dollars 
for my copy of Quorum that is mint, by the way, and that everybody's trying to get $125 for. Okay, now those guys who are posting online 100 bucks, 125 bucks, 200 bucks, those guys are long gamers who are waiting for that person who fucking needs a brand new copy of the Encyclopedia Vampirica like today and are willing to like reach into their pocket for it. But if if you're willing to do like the like 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 Sun Tzu said and stand by the river and watch the corpses of your enemies float by, then eventually you will find the book at a price you are willing to pay. Now, do some books gain a little bit of collector value? Sure. Sure. I mean, it's just it's just math, right? If the book was published in 1980 and it's 2017, there's probably a lot less of them around. And then when you start talking about in yeah. good condition, I, then that number's going down. Again, on Elric, <clears throat> I can't imagine trying to find those uh, monographs I was talking about, the Chaos yeah. published at the end of the line that have like no copies. Yeah. Like, um, they're really cool ones, too. They're about like the Cults of Law and Cults of Chaos. But I'm sure there's probably like you know, 200 copies printed or something bullshit but, like that. But my, my point is, is when somebody's coming at you with, oh, I'm a collector, you're a collector, here's collector prices, you can just walk away. Yeah. This is a trap. This is a trap, my but, friend. Just turn around and walk away. The thing to bear away. in mind with some of the White Wolf stuff, too, is even some of the older stuff, you can get it on drive through RPG as a print-on-demand. The quality's not the greatest. It's going to have huge gutters on it, um, and it's going to be ugly as sin. But... And the paper's uh, gonna be shit, and the paper's garbage. But you can get it print on demand from Drive Through RPG. So I, at the point, if any of this stuff is higher than the Drive Through RPG, right, just go get the Drive Through RPG copy, or get the PDF, or whatever it is you want to do. But you don't necessarily need to go out and find an original printing if if that doesn't bother you. You you also kind of got to think for a second, like what exactly is it you're trying to do with the, these games here? Like like of course we see on eBay we're scrolling and we see like some minty fresh copy of the Tremere clan book from fucking 1995 and it's like it's like it's not dog-eared, it's like it looks like it's got shelf wear and that's like it and you're like, "Oh shit, of course that's the one I want." And then it costs like four or five times more than like the slightly more lovingly well-used one. That's just that's a couple clicks lower. So, I mean, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to get a bookcase full of, like, perfectly even, everything's mint and squared away books for you to look at and to gaze upon and think, oh, that's my super mint copy, like it's a museum? If that's what you're trying to do, then pay the extra money. But if you're going to fucking play with this thing, if you're going to have it sitting on the table with, like, the fucking drinks, and your buddy's going to be saying, oh, hey, what's that merit again? Hand me the book. And you're going to be passing it maybe over candles because it's in the dark, you know? Do you really want to be like reaching into your pocket for a uh, twenty bucks for a book you could buy for five? Just think about it, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. What do you think? Yeah, it has. It's been a blast. I think we're doing the good work today, right? Hope so. Getting the word out. Doing the Dark Master's work. Get, getting the word out about the vampire books. People are gonna be happy to hear this. All right, guys. So uh, check out the webpage fullmetalrpg.com. Check out Instagram at FullMetalRPG on Instagram. Uh, if you need to get a hold of me at FullMetalRPGOfficial at gmail.com. You can also reach me via the direct message function on Instagram. And now that I'm taking a much more active hand on our Facebook group, FullMetalRPG, I'm answering those, those messages boom, boom, boom right away too. So get at us. Let us know what's going on. If you have any uh, friendly questions or comments or anything, um, we're here to help, and we love you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in August when we have a brand new episode of Full Motor RPG coming. Uh, thank you very much. Have a good night. Out.
Exploitation of this planet is worse. So we can see the one fire takes up. 